Hello and welcome to episode six of the WTM Insights podcast with me, your host, Lisa Francesca Nand. 2018 marked the 100th anniversary of British women gaining the right to vote and WTM London held a special travel-focused debate to mark this. The need for greater diversity, gender balance and visibility of women in the travel industry is still a key issue and our panel investigate what the travel industry might be able to do to accelerate the pace at which the pay gap is closing and what lessons and best practice can be shared and learnt from other sectors. The panel is moderated by Alessandra Alonso of Women in Travel and includes a stellar lineup of panellists, including Eliza Reid, First Lady of Iceland, and broadcaster and campaigner June Sarpong. So welcome everybody and good afternoon ladies and gentlemen. My name is Alessandro Alonso. I'm the founder of Women in Travel, which is a social enterprise dedicated to empowering women through employability and entrepreneurship in travel, tourism and hospitality. Some of you might have seen me here at WTM before and I also have a session tomorrow afternoon. But today I am delighted to welcome all of you and of course my very distinguished speakers to this session celebrating 100 years of suffragette and looking at how this uh, movement who some people might perhaps think it's uh, slightly passe is actually very very relevant to all of us today and to the travel and tourism industry indeed and to discuss the relevance, the lessons, and what can we all learn from past and modern leaders. I have here, I'm hugely privileged, I would say, to have here an amazing panel. First of all, Miss Eliza Reid, the First Lady of Iceland, June Sarpong, whom you've just heard talking, a diversity expert, Joe Phillips, VP Talent and Culture at Carnival, and Zina Benchek from Big DMC. So, I will now ask the ladies to say a few words to introduce themselves properly and to say a few words about the topic. I will then ask a few questions myself, but I am hoping that very soon your hands will start to go up and you will want to engage with this discussion because really this panel is only as good as we are all engaged in it and we are looking at you know, what we can learn and share some good practice. So that's what we are going to do and we have an hour. So I'm going to now sit down and um, I think, uh, first of all, that I don't need to tell you who the suffragettes are, but briefly, we all know that this group of ladies uh, who celebrates 100 years, uh, were very important to us, to us women today, and not just in the UK, but across the world. Because actually, they fought with, uh, for us for civil liberties, rights, and universal suffrage, from which the names initially under Emmeline Pankhurst and then her daughter Sylvia and a whole group. But it really amazes me that, you know, 100 years later, here we are talking about it because actually what's happening around the world and we all follow the newspaper and know that the likes of the Me Too movement, the gender pay gap that we hear 
hear about in newspaper and some of the other things that you know we've been have been happening are indeed still uh, rife in today's society now um Eliza, I want to start with you, uh, with the opportunity to hear from um, a country that quite rightly considers itself a leader in the um, area of gender empowerment. And I think possibly Iceland also learned from the suffragette, but um, I'll ask you to do that after you've introduced yourself for, for a, a minute. You can tell us a little bit what you think um, Iceland is doing right. Sure. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a great honor and pleasure for me to be here today, my first WTM conference. Um, I have a background in uh, travel writing and, and traveling and have undertaken a number of solo trips, uh, obviously as a solo woman traveler. So the area of gender equality and travel and women's empowerment is of great interest to me. Uh, last year as well, uh, in 2017, the, the International Year of Travel, I had the honor of being uh, asked to serve as a United Nations Special Ambassador for Tourism and the Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, and we all know, my, my role as that Special Ambassador really is to help the UNWTO in their goal of using travel as a means of achieving the Sustainable Development Goals and the United Nations Sustainable Development Agenda by 2030. We all know that one of those goals is number five, of course, gender equality. And uh, as June was mentioning earlier, it, it, we all know too that if we don't have women at the table, we're losing 50% of our potential for economic success. Uh, so that's a, one reason I was very interested to be here. But of course, another one is my adopted homeland of Iceland. As you probably hear from my accent, it's not the country that I was born and raised in. Uh, I, I'm from Canada originally. But because I chose to make Iceland my home rather than have it be my home by some twist of fate, sometimes I like to say that that entitles me to brag a little bit more about the country. And one of the areas in which I'm always most proud to talk about is Iceland's situation in the field of gender equality and gender empowerment. For the last nine years in a row, Iceland has been ranked the number one country in the world to be a woman by the World Economic Forum. And we have a number of um, statistics and information on why it is that we have achieved uh, so much as a country. And, and I think we can go into that in a little more detail during this conference. But in a nutshell, I suppose that stems from a, from a long tradition uh, of having women very involved in society from pragmatic purposes as well, because so many men, for instance, were off fishing for so long. Well, more recently, Iceland also had the world's first democratically elected female head of state, Vigdís Finnbogadóttir, in 1980. And there really is now a collective will and a collective understanding that uh, achieving gender parity and gender equality is something that benefits everyone in society. And I think that we also know, though, that gender equality does not happen of its own accord. So if we don't take concrete actions and steps to work forward, if we don't have that in our minds when we're employing people, when we're making decisions, when we're writing about different organizations, then it's not going to happen. And I think that that's something that, that we're really working towards a lot in Iceland. Thank you. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that will come out also later in the conversation, it's how the travel and tourism industry really can work together. One of the things that I'm keen to hear from, you know, our travel leaders here is 
how we as, a as women in the travel industry can make also our voice heard, can come together to absolutely raise our, our uh, sort of uh, desire to become more empowered and, and be out there, be in the room, as June would say. And uh, thank you very much, Eliza. So June, you have a background in media. Again, would you like to tell us a little bit about how you see it and also perhaps, you know, in terms of articulating the voice, the suffragettes were very good at articulating their voices in a world which actually didn't have social media, didn't have Twitter. Yeah. So, you know, what is your experience? What can we learn from yes. what you see happening in your media yes. world? I think what you see happening in my industry um, in particular is for a very long time you have had uh, women who have done well at sort of entry level, mid-level, but not rising to senior management. So in terms on the other side of the camera, we now have um, many more women that are, uh, are rising to much more senior levels and companies realizing that it matters. It matters in terms of output and what kind of content is created. And I think in terms of at, on the sort of the other side of the camera, which is where I work and sort of uh, on screen, in terms of ampli amplifying the female voice, I think what's really important is, is actually that Sheryl Sandberg philosophy of actually leaning in. Too often when we're in the room, because of the way we've been conditioned, we don't actually contribute to the conversation enough. And I think getting into the room is only one step. The second step has to be when we're there that we actually say something. And I think as women ourselves and as men who see themselves as allies for the fight for gender equality, is to make sure that you also amplify what another woman says and then to make sure that that point is heard, that it came from her. So I, what I would say to anybody in any industry, any sector, is when you're in the room, make sure your voice is heard. Okay, thank you very much. Joe. Um, your experience at Carnival, your um, understanding, and perhaps, you know, from a travel industry viewpoint, obviously you have seen a lot of women, you've met a lot of women. Where do we stand? Firstly, it's, again, it's an honour to be here and um, to be amongst such great women. Just for those who don't know, Carnival UK operates two really prestigious cruise brands, so P&O Cruises and Cunard. And I feel really privileged to work for an organisation that gets out of bed every day to uh, deliver unforgettable holiday happiness for its guests. Our people are absolutely at the core of that, and my agenda in the talent and culture space is to ensure that we create an environment for everybody, including women and you know, other disadvantaged kind of minorities to thrive and stay with us. Really competitive industry within the travel industry. And I think when you look at both the ethical and moral case for diversity and inclusion, but equally the commercial case, um, it's really, really strong in our industry. You know, women are key decision makers in holiday choices. So if you think about that from the, you know, just the very basics of what we do in our industry, connecting with women and helping them feel like they have a voice is absolutely crucial connecting with our guests in our in our sector is key and so making sure that women are represented I mean June and Eliza have both talked about underrepresentation and June I would echo you know our our organization has struggled to um, achieve senior representation of females so as a senior female in our organization I feel very passionate individually about this 
but I do believe that as the, ta the talent, uh, the war, war for talent gets increasingly stronger in our industry, it's even more important that we are setting out to embrace and help everybody feel they have a place and they have a voice within our industry. So we've got lots of work to do, but I think it's a really massive opportunity for us. Okay, and we're going to talk a little bit more about perhaps some of the initiative or some of the leaders who are championing. We are going to talk about champions. But now moving on to you, Zina from Peak. Would you, what do you see? You are in a different part of the world and you operate with, you know, with women who perhaps from those who are looking from the outside feel or seem, appear less empowered. Not yeah. necessarily so. But yeah. First of all, I'm very honored as well to be here and be able to be the, the Moroccan woman voice in such conference. I don't think it happens like very often. So uh, I'm going to just introduce myself for everyone to know. I'm the regional general manager for Peak DMC, which is the operator, uh, like operating division of the Intrepid Group. And we operate tours pretty much all around the world for brands like Exodus or Sawadi or Intrepid Travel. And so what I'm looking after is really the Europe, Europe Middle East, North Africa region, which include 300 people around uh, who are uh, indirectly reporting to me, and um, also including uh, general manager, male general manager from Middle Eastern countries like Egypt or Turkey. So in this panel, I guess I would like to really show a different perspective of side of the world that we don't often talk about. Well, we talk about suffragette and 100 years anniversary. In Morocco, we have the right to vote, but 75% of the women still don't work. And around 80% of women in the rural area of Morocco, which is 50% of the country, are illiterate. So we actually have the right to vote, but we are missing a lot of other rights. And I guess I'd like to share some experience and practices that we've really implemented in our company to try to create a change and really also learn from others to, to keep going in this uh, um, process, yes, let's say. Absolutely. And we will go back to that. But one of the things that, um, again, that has been mentioned, and Eliza, you mentioned at the beginning, is the fact that underrepresentation and moving from underrepresentation to having the women in the room. What do you think has Iceland done to make this happen in terms of the actual empowerment so that women feel they can be in the room? Because often, you know, women don't have the confidence or don't mm -hmm. feel themselves empowered mm -hmm. to raise their hands mm -hmm. or put themselves forward. Mm -hmm. And again, if I think back at the suffragettes and trying to draw some of the parallel, the, mo the movement grew from the grassroots. But women were taking huge risks mm -hmm. to be there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not everybody wants to take those risks. Even and in some country, you may still need to, sure. you know, undergo some So. Are there other ways to do it? Mm -hmm. It's a good question. Um, I think I could start with a short historical example about Iceland. In 1975, in October, uh, the women of Iceland famously went on strike. And it was this was before the time of social media or scheduling an event on Facebook or something. This was done whisper to whisper to whisper. I think everybody knew about it, but the idea was that because women you know, were earning less money than men and to protest this wage, women would stop doing their work. And they all met downtown in the center to hold a big demonstration. Now, predictably, the country shut down. 
Uh, my, my husband was a young boy at the time, and he remembers because he had the worst supper of his, ever, his life, he said, because his father was responsible for cooking supper. But um, the banks closed, the schools closed, uh, the, the male readers on, on the radio, you could hear children talking in the background because they had to bring their children with them to work because the mother said, no, I'm not doing this. And just a couple of weeks ago, we went on strike again at uh, 2.55 p.m., because women still aren't earning as much as men are for that work. And so that tradition continues. So I think that we have a long tradition of getting involved. And then another important dimension is this idea of collective will. And I, I think a general recognition in society that the, the whole economy and the whole society benefits from having women involved. So what does this mean in practice? This means, for instance, that Iceland was one of the first countries to introduce a policy of paid paternal leave. It's a use it or lose it policy. So men can take up to three months of paid paternity leave. Women take up to three months. And then there's a third set of three months that you share, which means, for example, that if you're an employer and you're interviewing candidates for a job, you might not think, oh, I'm not going to hire the woman because she's just going to go off and, and have babies. The, the men uh, are also taking their paternity leave. There is a new law that was passed this spring, again, recognizing not just equal pay for equal work, but actually introducing processes to audit companies over a certain size so that they actually have to prove that they are paying people for doing equal amounts of work. There's heavily subsidized childcare, for instance. So I think uh, there are a lot of policies in place that are designed to encourage this. And as a result of that, for instance, Iceland has one of the highest, if not maybe the highest, rates of female participation in the workforce. Um, so the economy, just f from purely monetary points of view, is getting a lot more out of its, its working yeah. age population. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's very important and very relevant. I guess that my um, comment on that is that sometimes, I mean, policies are absolutely necessary, mm -hmm. but the mindset shift mm -hmm. is something that also has to happen. And sometimes mm -hmm. getting the people on board, it's, mm -hmm. you know, even when the policies are there, yeah. can be quite difficult. Yeah. So I'd like actually to hear now from Zina and Joe at the industry end of, you know, you've heard Eliza talk about, you know, paternal leave and all the things that are being done. How do you think, how readily does the industry, our industry, come behind this type of policy and how much more can you do and, you know, what else can you share with us in terms of your own companies and, you know, perhaps the challenges as well as, you know, the great successes that you might have had because that's what's relevant for, for everybody? That's a great question. Actually, I think we should... Again, I'm positioning myself in this region that I'm looking after. Um, we should know that this industry is very important in some countries. And understand as you know, businesses or business representatives that in countries like Morocco or Egypt, tourism is first or second industry in the, in the country. So when we need policies to change toward gender equity, toward better inclusion of women and uh, diversity in the workforce, we actually can use this power that we have as businesses. We bring travelers to the country, the country needs those travelers. It's actually very important that we can talk and build strategic partnership with people who really like govern yes. the countries. Yeah. And this is something that we've been doing. And um, on the other side, I think businesses have also a big part of responsibilities. First, to acknowledge that there is a problem, because sometimes we don't even know that there is a problem. And then starting from there, start to set goals, policies, so we can really, us as managers, work toward those goals. And as an example, 
at Peak DMC, we have been given a goal that we needed to double the number of our female guides. Because when they looked at overall how many women and men we had working for the industry, we found that in the offices, it was pretty much even, pretty much okay. I'm not talking about managerial position, that would be like a, a different topic, but then we realized that there was a big, big gap on this guiding industry where I think less than 20% of our two leaders basically were women. And so by giving us a goal, pretty much every one of us, general manager of this network of 21 mm -hmm. offices around the world, start to look at ideas and solutions to give this, make this job uh, look like a good one for women. It's actually a really good job. It's a job in most of the countries that is well paid in comparison with uh, other jobs. That is actually, uh, can open many opportunities. And so, as an example, in Morocco, we used to have no female, guide, maybe 12, 12 or 18 months ago, and have, as a manager, have had a goal to really increase this number, kind of forced me to go outside and start to knock on government representative doors and say, okay, what's going on? Why don't we have enough guides who are licensed by you to, for us to be able to hire them and to give them jobs? So this is just kind of an example. I think policies can also be implemented, yes. such as policies that make the workplace safe for women, especially again in countries like in the Middle East or, or in Morocco, where we can have sexual harassment issues. And so when we have clear policies that says, look, we're against that, and if this happens, you can call a number and we will solve the problem. Then you make the workplace attractive, and then we can get the best talents in the country to work for us. And I think this is a really positive cycle at the end. Absolutely. Thank you. Joe? There's, there's two things at play, aren't there? There's the commercial case for, for doing the right thing, which I think is so strong these days in any industry that um, any organisation that chooses to ignore it, I think, is really short-sighted. Yeah. So I think as an industry, I'm, I'm hopeful that we are being much more open about the issue. I think the, the other piece is the, the kind of social and policy pressure that's coming from governments, which I think has been received um, in different ways by different organizations, but is actually having the right effect because it's become a catalyst for organizations to step back and go, okay, actually, we do need to do something here. And I think that the way that we've approached it at Carnival UK is to say, you know, this is a cultural shift for us. It's a key part of our people strategy. It's a key part of our business strategy. We need to be more diverse in order to survive and to thrive. And we've started a dialogue. So we've just been really open with our people about this. And we're really blessed to have some very senior leaders who fully embrace it. And I think that's an absolute kind of crunch point for any business. You know, having those people that will lead the agenda and spearhead it and make it a priority at the top table is absolutely key. But having that open dialogue with your teams and your people about, you know, why this is important and, set, and setting the standards to your point, Zina, about, you know, here's, here's the expectation within our business. So culturally, this is what we're aspiring to. So there's a couple of things there that I think are really key. Um, I'd also say that the men are critical to this. So the role of men in helping this change, supporting the change and spearheading it is as important as kind of rallying the, the women around this. I've seen it, you know, within our own organization, but um, being able to get men to emotionally connect to this subject. So in the sense of nieces, daughters, sisters, really thinking about the opportunities for those people that are part of their yeah. family. Yeah. And also, I think, removing the stigma of men being associated to this kind of 
movement, ideally, you know. So I think there are still men in all organisations who find that quite difficult and think that there's, there is a stigma. And so what we've been working really hard at at Carnival UK is to say, actually, this is about all of us together. We have a core value that is about being better together, which is all about inclusion and diversity in its broadest sense. Mm. But saying, you know, that's, that's going to be the key to our success. And by no means are we there yet, but absolutely we're seeing, you know, we now have a steering group, a working group of people that have come forward to say they want to really push this agenda. Um, and that's a mixture of male and female in different, different levels across the organisation. But they're the ones that are really starting to make inroads into mm. behaviours, practices, things that we need to shift and change to make mm. a difference. Absolutely. Thank you. So what I'm hearing here is that actually, you know, again, thinking back to the suffragette, there is power in numbers. Mm -hmm. There is power in getting our voice together and in getting a diversity of voice, hence yes. not just the female voices and not creating barrier, actually, yeah. to, but on the other hand, embracing our male colleagues and our male friends to say, you see the value in this and you see the benefits on this. And so there is something here, again, about the mindset and the culture shift. Going back to you, June, and perhaps please, Eliza, also come in. What you know, what do you think it takes to make this mindset shift, to go from, oh, I can't possibly be seen as taking paternity leave, to I absolutely will, because this yeah. is my opportunity yeah, I mean, to bond right. with my child and, you know, yeah. do all the things that are absolutely obvious to a mother. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I think, well, I think the first thing we have to do is, um, and obviously your country is way ahead of ours <laughs> um, on this issue, but I do think we have to, first of all, celebrate the progress we have had. Mm -hmm. So if you look in just one generation, I just, you know, anybody can take their own family. You know, my family, like I said, the African immigrants um, and, you know, very traditional. And when I look in one generation, you know, the idea of my father changing nappies would have been <laughs> absurd to my mother and to anybody in our family. Now, all the men in our yeah. family change the nappies of their children and spend time. And that's just one generation. And so I think it's a number of things. I think the first is, as women, how we value and actually make a point of expecting that from men. So I think if you are in a partnership, too often still, as we see, women bear the brunt mm -hmm. of the child rearing. Actually, I think we also need to say, no, you know what? We're in this together, so we demand it. Mm. In the workplace, mm. let's make a point of actually celebrating both men and women yeah. who do take yeah. time off, as opposed to penalizing them, which is how it is at the moment. Mm. And then the other thing I think which is a financial piece is we also do have to make sure that there's preparation put in place in terms of legislation for SMEs, whether that be tax breaks, because it is expensive. If you've got both now men Absolutely. and women mm -hmm. taking paternity leave, it's interesting mm -hmm. to see how you've managed it um, mm -hmm. in Iceland. We have to make sure that actually it's financially viable for the smaller companies mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a societal shift as well as uh, a policy mm -hmm. shift too. So in Iceland, um, the paternity and maternity leave parental benefits are paid for by the state. Oh, so again, that's okay. something that, that helps as well. I mean, of course. of course, there's institutional knowledge and things, 
things. Uh, but when people take their leave, then uh, they aren't sort of paying two salaries when they wow. have a replacement. So that makes yeah. a big difference. And I, I, maybe something that I haven't touched upon yet that I think is very important to mention this discussion is, is the idea of role models. Yeah. Mm. And I think that uh, whatever sector you're talking in, I, and I think that implies not just to gender diversity, but to all different kinds yeah. of diversity, we need for younger people to see people in these in these different roles and to see them using their voices. We need to see both girls and boys that they can see people expressing themselves in the way they want. There's a story that uh, the former uh, president of Iceland, Vigdís, uh, when she was first elected president, she was president for 16 years, and she would meet young boys who would then grow up and say to their parents, but could a, could a boy also be the president? Yeah. Because they didn't know anything different. Mm -hmm. And I think to have women in visible roles and leadership roles yeah. in all different sectors yeah. is yeah. very important. I know that that's something that I personally try to do even as First Lady is, is deliver a lot of speeches, for instance, so that I'm not just seen as trotting along next to my husband. Yes. And the fact that I'm an immigrant as well, and Iceland has a, has a lot more immigrants than it ever used to, I think is very important to show people in Iceland that, oh, I speak with an accent or I make mistakes, and that's fine, that's good. And mm -hmm. that we immigrants also have important voices in society. Yeah. So I think that's something, and it touches upon, June, what you mentioned earlier about who's in the room. Yeah. I think it's so important for younger generations and for younger kids to think, you know, my dad took five months of paternity leave when I was a baby, so it's just wouldn't even cross my mind not Love to do the to, same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And I think it's very true about the role models, and I guess from my viewpoint, this is how, you know, the whole, my own interest and the mentoring agenda started because women were saying we don't have the role models and we don't have the mentors who are perhaps also women to show that we can do it. I want to come back to you quickly because we've been going for a little while and I don't absolutely want to give you the opportunity to talk but I wanted to ask again uh, Joe and Zina from your viewpoint are we doing enough as an industry to showcase the role models to act as role models within our companies and to put the women out there we were talking before about travel championing the leaders the champions in and outside companies but all also, you know, speaking up and therefore putting the women on stages and again, you know, are there enough women speaking up even under the spotlight like this? I am very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I think it's, again, when I was mentioning acknowledging that we're not necessarily doing well, it's something that in our company we probably started to do and this is how we really set a base to improve and to, to go very, very far away. And I guess uh, we are not doing enough in general in the tourism industry and if it's becoming a very important topic it's even more important in developing country because in countries like morocco we if we don't if we ignore that 75 percent of the women are like have talents and can really help uh, the country to develop then we will not you know go anywhere the reason why i was saying that is as a moroccan i am well educated i've been living in outside of morocco for a long time and i hesitated before coming back to morocco because i couldn't really find a job at 25 years old that was a really engaging job that would be like management job and some 
really in like interesting for my career. The only company that really gave me this opportunity was at that time Peak DMC. The reason why they gave me this opportunity is because they didn't have a gender bias that we could have in very like probably almost all the other companies in Morocco. And so at 25 years old as a Moroccan woman coming and having to manage a team of a few Moroccan accountants was already some like a huge gap and something very big. This opportunity I really got it from someone in the company who is looking after the DMC, the 21 DMC um, uh, that we, we operate. Uh, her name is Natalie Kitt. She's now my manager, but she was not my manager at that time. So she was really very like far away from where I was is sitting. She in the room? She's in the room actually. <laughs> yeah. And the reason why I wanted to talk about her is because she's never been like been very like like sh she was not my manager, first of all, and she was not very like kind of visible in terms of we were seeing a lot of leaders who were men leaders talking a lot about themselves in the company, mm -hmm. about how great they were doing stuff. But in reality, she was the one who had probably the biggest job. She was looking after around 2000 people, including myself. And from the very first day, I still remember her telling me, we're very happy to have you here and we really trust you're gonna do a great thing. And I was like, why does she say that to me? I'm 25, I'm a manager, I don't even know if I should be there, you know? And just since then, it was eight years ago, I've been promoted four times, very recently, Amazing. a month ago, and it was really her behind me, pushing me to get on the next step and level. So I just wanted to mention We this. need a few Natalies around the <laughs> industry, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, thank you. And Joe, for you. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the role modeling, the storytelling piece, I think, has been at the core of how we've shifted the culture at Carnival UK. So we really celebrate men and women that have successes or are progressing and or are just, you know, taking a different approach to work, taking different work patterns, all of the stuff that you guys have been talking about. So that's really core cool to us. In terms of role models for me, I guess there's a couple, actually. So our president for Carnival UK is a guy. And he absolutely champions this agenda. So, you know, that for me is really powerful. Um, so I don't think it always has to be a woman role model, but somebody that's really setting the tone and shaping the, the, you know, the way things are. We also have, a, in our sector anyway, we have a really kind of key nuance in that we have... Um, hospitality and hoteliers in our business but we also have maritime so engineers and you know uh, captains of ships people that are come from a very technical background and that's a real challenge for us finding um creating a pipeline of women from you know um school children and trying to generate interest in our industry through to cadets and getting them into cadetships um and then seeing them progress and and, and uh, creating an environment where they can stay with us is really really key and we have this year um just promoted our first female into a first engineering position I on one of our ships and yeah. um, so leanne robinson is her name yeah. she's awesome and so she for me is another key role model Absolutely. Thank you very much, ladies. I think it would be good to open up to the audience. I expect there is a role in mic and other questions, first of all. Otherwise, I have a long list, not to worry, but I want to give everybody the opportunity. Do we have any questions? Yes, thank you. If you could tell us your name. Hi, um, Marijke from Savadi, and um, Peak DMC also operates some of our trips, so I have a question for Zina. Hi, Zina. Hello. Um, you mentioned before that 12 to 18 months ago there were no female guides in Morocco. I was just wondering how many do you have working at the moment? We've got 13 now. So how we got there, it was really pretty much 
when I started to look at this issue, I realized that if we wanted to increase the number of female guides, it was not about going in the street and start to convince people or go to tourism school. And it was really look at how many actually are licensed. And there is a, a big of like a big process and a lot of regulations, a bit like in Italy, around guides in Morocco to actually issue licenses. And it's something that is very rare to get. It doesn't happen very often. So this is how I realized that if I wanted to have female guides, I needed to go really at the top level and talk with the people who deliver license and see how can we issue more license. Because at the moment I started, we needed mountain guides specifically because we're an adventure travel company. So we need people like to do treks and stuff like that. And there were in the whole country only eight of them. And only one is really kind of English speaking and capable of doing the kind of business that we do. So if I had to choose among those then I didn't have much choice than just have one and if she really wants to work with us. So I've been through a lot of discussions, a lot of kind of pushing with people at the Ministry of Tourism, explaining to them it was important for the business. This is how I was mentioning how our position in the company as a tour operator, bringing 15,000 people in the country every year, can give us some kind of credit when we talk with them and manage to get them to organize a test few months after I, I've been talking to them and they've been issuing around a thousand licenses and we had um, five girls from our office and like girls that we kind of sponsored who actually got licensed during that process. So that's how we got to 13 at the end because other people also heard of us and heard that oh there is a DMC in Morocco that really wants female guides so let's uh, you know, uh, let's see what they're, they're doing. And at the moment, we're the biggest female guide employer of the country. So very proud of that. Fabulous. Thank you, Zina. Any other question? Anybody? Hello, my name is Marcela. I'm Bolivian, uh, living in London for five years now. Have lived uh, many years in different countries. And uh, my question uh, would be, how do you think a leadership, a leader woman is, is created? Along my career, I have struggled a lot to find uh, good women leaders because I feel that in many cases, uh, women are trying to develop their own careers, but uh, probably forgetting a little bit to push with them other women. So I would like to understand from you, what do you think women can become a leader? I think this is a question for the whole panel. Yeah. So you have wisdom to share by absolutely. I think that that issue of role models is very important, having other women to be able to look up to in whatever sector that is. And I think also women standing together, so women helping each other out, um, exactly as Jean was saying earlier, even what we think almost are small things but are actually not in meetings to say, well, that was an excellent point you made and I'm going to reiterate it so it's really heard and giving you acknowledgement for that. Um, and I think too, I think Joe had also mentioned too, we had, it's something that men are involved with as well. And I think, um, I, or I hope that most men also believe that there yeah. should be a great number of, of women leaders and we need to sort of encourage and, and nurture that as well so that it's just common sense really. That's absolutely right. There's, there's a couple of things I'd say from experience in industry that have made a real difference to us. So there's loads of research that shows that women have far more limiting beliefs than men yeah. and I think you might have mentioned that earlier yeah. but so some of the things we can do as organizations is to recognize that and then tailor our development programs to really support women who have those limiting beliefs because actually um, you know whilst there's a there's a whole suite of leadership programs that men and women could go on and there's you know you could 
talk about what leadership is for days, um, actually really helping a, a woman to really understand where those limiting beliefs come from and realize that she has got an equal place at the table and how she can yeah. bring that forward is really, really key. And the other thing I'd say is just in terms of progression and opportunity into leadership positions, we also know, I think there's research that shows that men will apply for a job if they've only got 60% of the capability or they, they, yeah, they fit 60% of the criteria. Women won't apply for that job unless they meet 100% of what they see on that job description. So seeking out women who've got potential and really helping them through different development interventions to realize that potential is critical to them then becoming successful leaders. I think also as, a, as a industry leaders, we have a big role to play when choosing people we, work to, we want to work with. So for example, when choosing suppliers, we can also play positive discrimination and empower and contract women owner uh, of businesses to really help them to you know, become um, you know, entrepreneurs and uh, business leaders. So we do this, uh, we have actually even a global purchasing policy that is uh, encouraging diversity and this kind of practices. And for instance, uh, we to give a very concrete example, we had um, a woman who um, her passion is to drive tracks so buses in Morocco which is extremely rare she got it from her dad and she's a Berber woman so she's could have been one of the 80% illiterate women she's actually educated and wanted to run her own bus company or um, uh, and she came to us a few months ago asking for business and if she would but she didn't have enough vehicles so we told her look if you come back more ready with more vehicles with drivers who speaks English and all of this I can promise we'll give you business and she did she came back a few months later she had 17 buses and we actually gave her ran a whole range of our yeah, product cool. to operate for us and she's now super like you know happy that she can really do and like live from her patient she's um, employing only male drivers and she's looking actively for female drivers because she knows that will add a lot of value even to us as a business so this is just kind of example we can do by you know using positive discrimination in the when we choose who we work yeah. we want to work with and that's a really great great example Junior, do you yeah. have some examples yeah, as well? Just, yeah, what I'd just like to add, obviously, support everything that my fellow <laughs> panelists said. <laughs> Valid, great points they've just made. Um, I'd just like to say, I think there are two things. One also is, number one, is as women, actually considering what female leadership is and what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Because so often we've had to fit into yeah. the male yeah, yeah. box. And now that we have women in the workplace in large yeah. numbers, we can actually start thinking about, okay, so what is female leadership and how are we gonna do things differently mm -hmm. in a way that allows for inclusivity mm -hmm. and, and isn't so much of a zero sum game, exactly. which has been the traditional way that sort of the male business template has been. And, and that has achieved a lot of success. Let's not knock that success. But I think there's more success and more value to be added with this sort of other element that we bring. The other thing which I think is very important, and often we don't address this, but is also internalized misogyny. Because as women, we have been conditioned for, for so long to see ourselves as less than, and also for so long to think that perhaps there's only room for one. So I think it's really important that we address that internalized misogyny so that we are not in any way uh, holding ourselves back, but also holding other women yeah. back. So I think that's a really key thing that we need to look at. So, yeah. Absolutely. And if I may add my penny worth of wisdom, I think going back to the role models and the mentor, I think that the great power of mentoring is that Every time you have a mentor and you experience the power of mentoring, 
you then become a mentor in your own right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it trickles through. And this is particularly important, I think, in the smaller organization, because, of course, if you are Carnival or if you are Peak DMC, you might have a whole set of resources. You, as a woman working for these great companies, you may have a whole set of resources, or you can at least ask the question, can I have access to? Mm. But there are, and I meet them every day, women who don't have that opportunity. Perhaps they are small entrepreneur, like you know, your Berber woman, who therefore think, how do I do? How do I go about this? How do I develop myself? How do I develop my team? And I think having that foresight of thinking, perhaps there is a mentor in Zina Epic, or perhaps there is a mentor out there who I can approach, that is very, very valuable and very empowering because mentors are there to provide options and open doors and make you think beyond your limiting yeah. belief. Mm, yes. So that's where you know, some of those self-imposed challenges, I think, then can potentially disappear or certainly become less, less important. Okay, are there any other questions? Yes, please, the gentleman. Good to hear from you, if you can introduce yourself. My name is Stefan Johannesson. I come from Iceland, so I'm very proud <laughs> to listen to uh, the First Lady of Iceland. And I might add that her husband, our president, is one of 10 heads of states that have been appointed as champions for gender equality under the He for She, UN He for She campaign. Yes. Most of you, I think, addressed the question of engaging men in the question and the narrative on uh, gender equality. And Eliza has referred to our former president, the first democratically elected female president in the world, Vigdís Finnbóðardóttir, in 1980, when she attended the World Summit on Women in 1995 in Beijing, who some of you may re remember. She made a comment, where are the men? because it was predominated by, men, by females, actually. I might ask the same question to you about the panel. I mean, this is a formidable, great panel. I'm very impressed by all of you, but where, is the, where are the men in the panel? Out of that comment from Mirtis Fimpato, they grew this idea to do something more about engaging the men in the narrative and the conversation on gender equality. And that how the created Iceland along with Mauritius created a, a concept, a seminar that has been now used time and again since the beginning of 2014 called Barber Shop. And it's under the he for she umbrella where uh, we host a seminar, invite the men, we've done it in the UN, invited all the ambassadors and perm reps to come and engage and debate gender equality. It was also done in NATO, which is a very male-driven, yeah. as you could imagine. It's been done in Geneva, where you had these international leaders come and discuss and open up about gender equality. It's been quite successful. Wow. But these were more comments and observations than, than questions.
Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I guess we're very, I should just I'll interrupt and just say we're very proud of our men in Iceland too. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Um, from my viewpoint, I asked myself as well when uh, you know we were discussing the panel about the male presence, but I felt that actually we shouldn't feel we shouldn't apologize this time for having a female panel just because we chose the people that we felt could talk about some of the issues so we went for the content and we went for the people who were the best placed to talk about some of the things that we wanted to discuss but i take your point and i think that overall you know this is a very welcoming environment and that's why there you know the the men didn't stay away from the session because they did i don't think that they felt excluded as for the other comments please feel free to come in i just wanted to answer on the sort of composition of the panel mm -hmm. I actually uh, had to deliver a speech within our company on gender equity and some of these achievements we had in Morocco. And I was in Australia back then. Uh, so everyone in the office and there are a lot of people in this office were invited to it. And in this room, there were only two men who mm -hmm. came to listen. And those are people part of our company. This is where I said, even though we feel we do the right thing and we have policies in place, we need to challenge ourselves all the time yeah. because there is still big misunderstanding around the fact that it is an issue, I think. So your point is very relevant, and the role of men is really important. At the moment they start to feel involved, things can change. If they don't, since they still dominated the world, they're monitoring the world, I don't think we will move very fast. At least that's my opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think on this point, you know, we know that makes groups are always the most innovative and yeah. the most productive. Yeah. That's true for the female side, that's true for the for male the side. side. You yeah. need the good mix. In fact, yeah. from all backgrounds, yeah. I think. Any other comments from the panel? Otherwise, we have time for one last question, if there is one. Yes, another gentleman there, thank you. The men are in the room, that's great. Indeed. <laughs> there are a few. Hi, um, I'm Tom from Exodus Travels. I have the pleasure of working with Zina. You mentioned, Zina, the importance in particular in developing countries, you know, before there was talk about female role models and so on. And obviously you're a great example of this. Do you think it makes a difference if there were, because we work with many DMCs, not many managed by women, but there are some which are managed by women, but they're foreign women, you know, European women potentially. Do you think that also acts as a role model or does that sort of negate in a, in a developing country the benefits? That's a very, very good question. I think it helps, in my case, that I'm Moroccan. I'm just very lucky because I'm Moroccan, but I'm not a usual Moroccan. I've been, as I said, growing up in Canada, lived in France for many years, came back to Morocco, so I have a lot of education. I think it's probably very similar to New June. Yes, it's, yes. I've got this European background that helps me. And because I'm Moroccan, I have a Moroccan name, and I still am Moroccan, I can be seen as a role model. It helps much more the girls in our office, especially, yeah. to see that there is possibility for girls like them to get in higher level. As an example, we have um, a young girl who started a few years ago, just two or three years ago, as an intern in the finance department in our team. She was extremely ambitious. They used to call her Mini Zina, actually. Oh. And, uh, and she's, uh, she's, today, she's today the finance manager of our Turkish office. And I think she just said in her mind, if Zina did it, I can do it. It was much easier for her as a local Moroccan person to really identify. So I know what you're referring to when you talk about Western women, it's probably 
much more different or more difficult, but I think it's still achievable as long as you really have the p right policies in place and you set the right goals and you also get set like the right working environment for women to feel safe and feel um, like empowered to move up uh, at, the, at the highest level, I think. Could I add to that? Um, sure. And, and I think, Zina, you're totally right. Um, I completely relate. Uh, my, as I said, my family are from Ghana. And for me, it was very important that when I was doing uh, charity work and work particularly in relation to Africa, for me to go, because often what you see is it's seen as a sort of European savior sort of come yeah, in. Yeah. And I think it's very important that, yes, of course you have Western women, nothing against that. But actually, you must also look at the opportunity of homegrown talent because they're going to understand your market, that particular market, in the way that perhaps somebody else wouldn't. Yeah. So I think you need a double track in terms of sort of what's quickest. Perhaps there are more Western women that have the qualifications you need for the senior level, mm -hmm. but you also need to make sure you create a pipeline Completely. where you're training local women to be able to take up those roles as well in the future. Totally. So both are just as important. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And sometimes, you yeah. know, we have to ask ourselves, do we have the right mindset? Exactly. Do we have our own biases? Yes. Even as women, yes. as the lady yes. was saying in yes. the audience, and again, I've seen yeah. it happening against other women, yeah. whatever, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, whatever syndrome uh, that's called. But yes. yeah, yeah. I think yeah. sometimes we also have to raise our hands and mirror. say we yeah. haven't mm -hmm. been as open to other women mm -hmm. to support yes. and yeah. embrace other women because we felt they might be competitors. Mm -hmm. Okay, we are just uh, finishing. I would like to, uh, for everybody to leave the room, um, having heard from one final call for action. I always feel that if we can give you something tangible to take away, you've taken loads for sure, but one thing that perhaps we can do, you know, especially from an industry viewpoint, but of course even from a more global strategic viewpoint, what can we tell to the ladies and the gentlemen in the audience mm -hmm. who are working in the in and around the industry? What is the one thing that perhaps they should go and do now, having heard, having attended this debate? Zina, I'm going to start with you. We're here to share best practices. And I think if there was one thing that we should look at each other, not as competitors, but we should look at each other working together towards solving this issue and making progress. And, and um, I'm very happy that I'm operating trips for, I mean, Big Dimps is operating for different travel companies in the world. And I'm happy when each of them separate, like there are competitors sometimes, ask us to have female guides to run trips for them because they found it an exceptional thing. And so when we do, when we work towards uh, causes like this ones, we, we're here to e help each other, I guess. And I think this is a message that I really would like the travel industry to, to take out from here. Thank you very much. Joe? So uh, I agree to that and I'd, I'd add to it. So I think there's just something about seizing any opportunity you can to get involved in the discussion and to raise the profile of this within our industry. Um, I also think if, if the issue isn't something that's openly talked about in your own organisations, I would ask the question why? Because I think it's critical to business strategy and to you know talent and your people strategy. If it is already talked about, I'd just say play a more active role. If you're not playing an active role in it, get stuck in because you can make the difference. Thank you. 
the thing I would say is find another woman to sponsor. So if you're a woman, is there somebody else that's coming up after you that you can help yeah. guide their career? And the same as if you're a man, is there a woman in your organization that you could sponsor? I think that little sort of act as an individual can make a huge difference. Thank you. And I would just say to keep, uh, keep the issue of uh, gender diversity and really all forms of diversity sort of very high in your mind when you're making decisions mm -hmm. um, professionally. I know I used to edit Iceland Air's in-flight magazine before I became first lady. And I, you know, I'm a, a big feminist and do all this. And yet I consciously in each issue had to think, how many women have I interviewed? How many women photo photographers yeah. are there? How many authors? And if I didn't consciously make the decisions yeah. to have parity there, it wouldn't, it wouldn't happen by yeah. itself. Okay, so I think at this point, Eliza, First Lady of Iceland, thank you very much. Yeah. June, Joe, Zina, you've all been wonderful. What I love about this panel is that you can hear the passion and the authenticity, and that's what we can ask from speakers on this type of events. So thank you very much. I'm sure you'll join me to say thank you. Thank you so much to Alessandra Alonso and the brilliant panellists there. Do subscribe to WTM Insights Podcast on whatever app you're using and be the first in the queue for the next of the many podcasts we will be releasing throughout the coming months. Thank you so much for listening to the WTM Insights Podcast.